Hey everybody, Nick Espinoza, your chief security fanatic here. And today we are talking about the brand new Biden administration national security strategy. It just dropped today, March 2nd, and here's what's going on and here's what you need to know. And for the record, I'm always glad to see uh, basically when the government strengthens national security in some way, hopefully without eroding our rights. And that is always the challenge. I was happy when the IoT security bill got passed near the end of the Trump administration. Also, uh, when the Biden administration came out earlier and Biden and his presidency uh, discussed cybersecurity and has leveled multiple orders on this, I think overall, as I mentioned, overall, this is moving in the right direction. So Let's discuss the key points here, uh, basically from the fact sheet from whitehouse.gov directly. Everything you're about to see uh, essentially in this, uh, on your screen here, if you're watching this, and if you're listening to the podcast, you can flip over to YouTube and actually see uh, the points that I'm talking about, but I will discuss each point here. And so everything you see is basically a copy and paste directly from the fact sheet from whitehouse.gov. And uh, we're going to go through this because we have to talk about this. Now, some key starting points that they mentioned in this document, uh, they're actually really interesting here. First things first, and I quote directly, in this decisive decade, the United States will re-image cyberspace as a tool to achieve our goals in a way that reflects our values. And these are the values, according to the uh, Biden administration, that is going to be intertwined with cybersecurity for our defense. Economic security and prosperity, that makes perfect sense. I don't know anybody that would want to argue with that. Respect for human rights and fundamental freedoms. I think that's one of the cornerstones of the United States. We have freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, all those different kinds of things. Uh, human rights, uh, hopefully, is the name of the game, uh, or should be, uh, constantly trust in our democracy and democratic institutions. We've obviously seen that under threat for a while, and I'm not getting political here, but uh, you know, you can you can go read some interesting books on that that have been produced in the last decade or so. Uh, on top of that, equitable and diverse society. But here's the interesting part, and I quote, we must rebalance the responsibility to defend cyberspace by shifting the burden for cybersecurity away from individual small businesses and local governments and onto the organizations that are most capable and best po positioned to reduce risks for all of us. Now, this is interesting. And the reason why I think this is interesting is because we have essentially have a mantra in cybersecurity, if you are a listener that is not a cybersecurity professional, that cybersecurity is essentially a shared responsibility. We're all in this together. So if you're an individual, having good cyber hygiene in your life, whether it's multi-factor authentication or a decent antivirus, one that is you know, obviously not the cost of an enterprise endpoint detection response, but you're doing things in your life to be basically be more cyber aware, just like small businesses should be defending themselves and not relying on others. And so I'm curious to basically understand this point more of what they basically mean by that, because local governments, small businesses, and individuals should have a hand in defending themselves. Now, if we're talking upstream about putting some more of the burden uh, of threat detection on the internet service providers, the Comcast, the Time Warners, the frontiers of the world, yeah, I totally get that. If we can stop some of these malicious things coming in and out uh, you know, at the ISP level, I am totally fine with that, but we also have to balance that freedom of expression, that that freedom of everything, and so we cannot have a government dictate to say, well, we consider you know specific types of speech as a threat, those kinds of things, or or specific belief systems. I may not believe 
uh, you know, in many different belief systems out there, as many people don't either. But that doesn't mean they don't have a right to exist. I understand we have disinformation problems and all of that. But I think that is something that I'm going to watch because depending on, on, on how that plays out or what is said, that could be both good or bad. Again, just calling balls and strikes here. I think that's an important part. Now, they also in the fact sheet laid out the vision of how this is going to work. And I think this is interesting as well. And so let's go through that vision before we talk about the actual approach, which seems actually pretty solid, but we'll discuss point by point. So the vision... Again, and I quote, together with our allies and partners, the United States will make our digital ecosystem defensible where cyber defense is overwhelmingly easier, cheaper, and more effective. I mean, that that makes sense. And hopefully that is the case as we continue to develop amazing new products and those go to market and they're more mass produced, if you will. Hopefully costs do come down. Resilient, where cyber incidents and errors have little widespread or lasting impact. That's an approach to zero trust. Resilient uh, options for defense, meaning faster recovery times, more proactive uh, defenses. I'm all for that as well. I like that. On top of values align, where our most cher cherished values shape and are in turn reinforced by our digital world. Again, I think that like the previous statement from the previous slide could go both ways, depending on what that means. If you are talking about a government uh, trying to hamper or hinder free speech, I've got an issue with that. Again, understanding and I we have a huge disinformation problem. I literally have written articles. I've talked about that uh, constantly. I did an article called The Six Laws of Disinformation. It's a serious, serious problem. And so I think we have to find a balance between combating those things with actually eroding rights, as I mentioned right at the preamble. So there you go. Now, on top of that, they said, and, and they basically listed out some of the stuff that they've done. And I would say, overarchingly, these are good steps in the right direction to improving cyber defense here in the United States. So the National Security Strategy Executive Order, um, you know, I'm not going to go through all of these National Security Memorandum, uh, Zero Trust Cybersecurity Principles, moving the government towards that. I'm all for that. Uh, that's something I think we all should be doing in our lives. Um, essentially quantum computing and making sure that we're mitigating risks to quantum uh, cryptographic systems. I think that's a good thing as well. But overarchingly, like I said, and, uh, you know, we can break down point by point and have discussions and debates, but overwhelmingly what we've seen is a move towards better cyber hygiene, not just for the government, but for citizens and corporations as well. And I think that's a good thing, uh, you know, overall. We may disagree on some key points, but we are moving the ball forward. And I think that's a good thing overall. When that ball moves forward, you know, that's great. We needed it more under Trump. We needed it more under Obama. We needed it more under W. Bush and on and on and on. And so, you know, hopefully the whoever's the president after President Biden will continue that that trend as well of, of escalation uh, to get us better uh, cyber hygiene. So with that, let's talk about the approach that essentially the White House wants to take on this. And uh, I just looking at it from like a 10,000 foot view overall, I think the concept seems pretty good again overall. So let's go through that approach because they have a five tiered approach that they are going to use to uh, essentially strengthen and combat uh, you know, cybersecurity issues. And so with that, let's talk about approach number one, defend critical infrastructure. Quote, we will give the American people confidence in the ability and resilience of our critical infrastructure and the essential services it provides, including, and here are the points of this approach, expanding the use of minimum cybersecurity requirements in critical sectors to ensure national security and public safety 
and harmonizing regulations to reduce the burden of compliance. If you ask me, um, I what I think this is, is the adoption of the CMMC or the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. Uh, I've done many videos on this. I've talked about this. I've written on this. But essentially, uh, what we are talking about here is uh, basically um, uh, something the Department of Defense is putting together for the defense industrial base. But many other federal agencies have said, when it's done, we want this for our private sector that supports us. And now these private organizations are going to have to get certified in good cyber hygiene. And I think that is a good thing overall. On top of that, uh, the next point is enabling public-private collaboration at the speed and scale necessary to defend critical infrastructure and essential services. And I think this will be very interesting to see what that approach is, because if it's a collaboration between, let's say, uh, you know, government sectors like um, CISA, uh, the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, along with private sectors above and beyond things like InfraGuard, uh, we may see more collaboration in finding and sharing threat intelligence. And when we share in cybersecurity, it strengthens us all. So I think that's a pretty good idea. On top of that, the next point is defending and modernizing federal networks and updating federal incident response policies. We have to have good contingency planning in our life. And so incident response and, and streamlining policies and procedures for that is good. But defending and modernizing federal networks is critical. There is so much technology debt at the federal level. I've talked about this before. This is going to be an uphill lift. This is not a, we're going from zero to Fort Knox overnight. We've seen the inspectors generals of the various departments come back with just some horrific reports over the last few years. Modernization is going to take years and we need to basically start doing that now. And it's not just the federal government. We all need to keep up, but the federal government and many local governments are behind as well. Again, I've written and talked about this extensively, but that's the first approach. And overarching yeah, I think it makes sense to me. Now, the second approach uh, to this, or the second point is disrupt and dismantle threat actors. Nobody's disagreeing with that. Quote, using all instruments of national power, we will make malicious cyber actors incapable of threatening the national security or public safety of the United States, including by strategically employing all tools of national power to disrupt adversaries. Now, is that basically bringing in international law enforcement, CIA, NSA, FBI, Interpol, et cetera, et cetera, you know, to this fight? Uh, how exactly is this going to work? And so I'd be very curious to understand a greater approach on this. Uh, but again, this is coming from the overarching fact sheet uh, that was released today. The second point uh, of point number two is engaging the private sector in disruption activities through scalable mechanisms. Now, I think this is absolutely good because there's a lot of private sector cybersecurity, cyber warfare firms out there that if we're given a freer hand by the US government could actually start fighting back in ways that the law kind of limits us now. And so we're going to see where that goes, how there's going to be a new approach or legal framework or guide rails or guardrails, excuse me, uh, guide, guide guidance and guardrails. Uh, to this if the private sector is going to be more involved in helping, let's say, the federal government thwart, uh, you know, the ransomware gangs of the world. On top of that, and the next point is addressing the ransomware threat through a comprehensive federal approach and, and lockstep with our international partners. What I think this is overarchingly going to mean is a lot more coordination by international law enforcement. So wherever these threat actors are, assuming they're not getting safe harbor in the rushes of the world, uh, they're going to have a much harder time evading law enforcement as we all coordinate and start in, uh, th basically sharing threat intelligence at a higher level. So I think if that if that is the actual intent of that point in the second approach, I think that's a good thing as well. And those that is a second uh, approach that they are looking at, disrupt and dismantle threat actors, which I think overarchingly, again, is a good thing. Now, 
The third point that they have here is basically shape market forces to drive security and resilience. Quote, we will place responsibility on those within our digital ecosystem that are best positioned to reduce risk and shift the consequences of poor cybersecurity away from the most vulnerable in order to make our digital ecosystem more trustworthy. Now, I think that's interesting, but again, this potentially opens up a can of worms. And the points under the third approach here are promoting privacy and security of personal data. I'm 100% for that. Please start with Facebook. Please start with TikTok. Please start with social media. Please start with the data miners. The next point is shifting liability for software products and services to promote secure development practices. Yes, this is something that I'm all for. And I know that the Biden administration early on in his presidency was kicking around basically creating a certification and ranking system for software. If you get this, uh, basically this certification, if you will, as a software developer, you're essentially saying that you're drinking the cybersecurity Kool-Aid. And we see so many development products rush to market, uh, specifically for marketing and, and profitability uh, strategy, that oftentimes cybersecurity is you know cut corners. This is where we see hard-coded passwords, like password in APIs or products or other things. And so I think this is something that really needs to be tackled. So I'm glad to see it here. On top of that, and the next and final point in step three is ensuring that federal grant programs promote investments in new infrastructure that are secure and resilient. Yes, this is something that should be on the mind of every expanding business, every government agency. I don't care if you're the local dog catcher agency all the way up to the federal government. Having an approach as you are expanding and growing as our population expands and grows is a critical thing. And so having an eye towards that resilience and security is overarchingly a good thing. So I think overall, this makes a lot of sense to me. Now, the fourth approach that we have here is <clears throat> invest in a resilient future. And I quote, through strategic, through strategic investments and coordinated collaborative action, the United States will continue to lead the world in innovation by of secure and resilient next generation technologies and infrastructure. I think that is a good thing as well. Obviously, everybody is looking for cutting edge. There are a lot of basically fascinating and novel security approaches and technology happening around the world, not just the United States, but Israel and other places. And so as we continue to be competitive in there, we, the United States, I think overarching yes, we want to continue to, to build that resiliency to continue to help the world, if you will, through, through developing these products. But the key points of this that they lay out are, number one, reducing systematic technical, vulner technical vulnerabilities in the foundation of the internet and across the digital ecosystem while making it more resilient against transnational digital repression. Now, I think what this is, and uh, my opinion here is that this is a shot across the bow to China. I wrote an article uh, for Forbes back in 2018 called The Bifurcation uh, you know, that is coming. And essentially, China is building their own internet that is more authoritarian. They're using their own protocols. They're pushing it to basically vassal states that are other countries countries through their Belt and Road Initiative and creating essentially a very heavily monitored and censored uh, internet. And they're teaching other countries. A perfect example is Vietnam on how to actually basically have an authoritarian internet where you can monitor and socially rank your people. This is something we need to be pushing back against because the last thing we want to see is a free and open internet or mostly free and open internet across most of the world. And then another 60, 70 states have this authoritarian led uh, you know, internet by China. And I think that's a huge thing. So I think this is a shot across the bow to what China is attempting to do right now and what China has publicly stated in the last couple of years about building their own uh, 
you know, security. Now, obviously, we're advancing our own protocols as well. We're now on IPv6, although a lot of the world is still on IPv4. I'm not expecting my non-technical audience to know that, but know that we are also trying to improve these things and figure out new ways to secure the internet as we're simply moving back and forth through it to, to help harden it against attack. Now, the next major point in invest in a resilient future is, and I quote, prioritizing cybersecurity research and development for next generation technologies such as post-quantum encryption, digital identity solutions, and clean energy infrastructure. I think this makes a lot of sense as well. As we continue to advance in quantum computing and all of that, as identity management uh, becomes the name of the game, we've had a huge push in cybersecurity for identity management in the last five, six years or so, not to mention uh, supply chain risk and all of that. Uh, basically, uh, continuing to advance research into this as well as development is beyond important. Same with clean energy. If we've got, you know, advanced computers running, let's say solar farms or wind farms or whatever. And again, I don't care about the politics of this. We want to harden and make sure those are just as secure as a nuclear power plant or whatever runs computer systems runs a coal plant, all those kinds of things. I think this is just unbelievably important as well. And the next point they've got, and the final point in point number four is developing a diverse and robust national cyber workforce. Yes, I completely agree with this. If you didn't know, the latest ISC2 report puts us down, I think it's worldwide, it's something like 4 million cybersecurity professionals. I recently wrote an article for Forbes on this, how, how basically veteran CISOs, Chief Information Security Officers or CISOs are burning out. And when we have leadership that are, you know, contemplating leaving, uh, you know, and the next couple of years, that vacuum, that that gap continues to grow. We can't train people fast enough. And I think that is so unbelievably important. And if the government is going to lead the way and start spinning up training programs and really pushing it on universities or even independent of them, I am all for that. If you have any technical inclination, please get into cybersecurity. Don't develop the next app that will deliver dog food 10% faster. We need to develop uh, those apps at some point, but we need to defend the whole thing as we are moving on. And the last point that they've got here is Point number five, which is forge international partnerships to pursue shared goals. Quote, the United States seeks a world where responsible state behavior in cyberspace is expected and reinforced and where irresponsible behavior is isolated and costly. Now, I think this is interesting because, yes, we are stronger together. I get up on stage and I talk about how we are all interconnected, that we need to build a global herd immunity for cybersecurity. And I don't have to explain what herd immunity is anymore to my audiences. Thank you very much, pandemic. But it's the same way. We are all interconnected, which means if one of my people connected on Facebook or through a messaging service or Slack or Teams or whatever you use is infected, I have a higher susceptibility of being infected as I will get fished by somebody that looks like my friend. But if my friend knows not to click on the emails that Prince Ubuntu in Nigeria does not need help with his revolution, we are safer, we are better off. And so I think that is a good thing. And if we are looking at the national levels as we are going after the threat actors of the world, as we are building and collaborating, building a more secure internet and more secure infrastructure, not just for the United States, but every nation out there, I think this is a good thing. And some of the key points that they have in this one are leveraging international coalitions and partnerships among like-minded nations to counter threats to our digital ecosystem through joint preparedness, response, and cost impo uh, imposition. I think that's a good thing. We are sharing that responsibility. Now, a few years back, 
might have been 10 years at this point, there was an anti-hacking treaty that was signed by many nations, about 27 nations around the world via the UN, the United Nations. And that was one of those first things where basically there was a coalition of nations saying, we're not going to hack each other. Okay, forget intelligence services and all of that. But it was a good, novel, first step approach. The United States signed that treaty, as did many of the United States' allies. You can probably count them out in your head. Who didn't sign that? Russia and China. And so I think this is once again is basically a shot across the bow. Like-minded nations uh, basically are excluding those. The China trying to create their own internet, authoritarian, Russia. Well, we all know what's happening in Ukraine right now and how they've been harboring ransomware gangs prior to that. So I think this again is a shot across the bow on those two nations and any nation that allies with them. The next point is increasing the capacity of our partners to defend themselves against cyber threats, both in peacetime and in crisis. Yes, I think this alludes to Ukraine as we have been helping the Ukrainian cyber army, not just not just the regular army where we're supplying weapons and training and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think what we are talking about here is strengthening overall through these alliances, through these partnerships. And I think overarchingly, that's a good thing. We are stronger together when nations isolate, just worse things tend to happen, not to mention not just the economy, but in terms of defense and collaboration of defense. So I think that's a good thing. The next point is, and the final point, of the final point of the approach is working with our allies and partners to make secure, reliable, and trustworthy global supply chains for information and communications technology and operational technology products and services. I think this is a direct response to the supply chain crisis that the world, not just the United States, has seen in the last couple of years or so. It's hard to get technology. There have been articles and reports that uh, basically a lot of the equipment used to make semiconductors are starting to be hoarded by China as China has been cut off with a lot of those things. Russia has been cut off as well. And so looking at essentially building an intricate supply chain where we are able to manufacture the products and quickly and reliably ship them from country A to country B and vice versa and all that kind of stuff is kind of the name of the game. It basically cuts down on that supply chain, uh, you know, uh, supply chain issue. If you're in technology, IT or cybersecurity, you know that if you're ordering those firewalls, you know, from wherever it is, it's taken like a month or two to get to you as opposed to like a couple of days. This is the kind of thing that we really need to combat because the longer we delay, let's say, implementing that top level defense, the longer uh, basically we are more vulnerable. And so overall, I think this is good. Those are the five core points, the vision, the approach, everything that they have. And like I said, there's a couple of different things here that I mentioned early on that, that you know, depending on which way the government goes, the last thing I want the government to do is to lean towards more censorship in the name of freedom. I don't think that's a good thing. Understanding we have a huge, uh, you know, disinformation, uh, you know, issue, not just here, but in many countries right now as well. Thank you, QAnon. So, so I, I think that we have a balance. But overarchingly, if I'm looking at this holistically, if I was approaching this myself, there's a lot of points here where I'm saying, look, as a nation, as a president, if you will, if it was President Nick, yeah, a lot of this I would have in there just given what I do and, you know, and and, and my experience in cybersecurity. So overall, I think this is a, a pretty solid plan. And, and I'm hoping that a lot of it does come to fruition. Again, uh, you know, when it comes to the government growing or expanding or anything, we always have to keep an eye. We've always got to make sure that our rights are not being eroded in some way. And if they are, we need to take legal action against those kinds of things. But overarchingly, when we are talking about a cyber defense strategy, as it's laid out here, a national cybersecurity strategy as released today, March 2nd, 2023, I think this is a good thing overall. And I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of this gets off the ground. The government has some huge lifts to do. 
especially in the modernization and replacement of antiquated systems and infrastructure, which is a huge sore thumb. We have a lot of local municipalities that are getting hit. I, I literally have talked about the 50,000 plus water and wastewater districts here in the United States that are susceptible to hacking overwhelmingly. I've talked about that and written about that extensively. We've got a long way to go here, but these are steps in the right direction. And so I'm hoping that a lot of this starts to come to fruition and whoever you know wins the 2024 election, whether it's Biden or somebody else, whatever the party, I hope they continue this as they do in 2028 and 2032, if you can even think that far, you know, and here we are. So that is your news of the day. Overarchingly, I think this is a good thing, um, you know, but again, we'll wait and see. And, and like I said, the more the more uh, security we have in our lives, the better we're going to be. We're just going to have to balance it again with our freedoms. And please like, share, follow me here on Facebook and Twitter at Nick AESP. And please feel free to subscribe to me at YouTube as well. And as always, stay safe, stay online, and please attempt to stay private. Thanks, everybody.